0: The number one asymmetric, the number one thing that people who want to fund your business and, and see it thrive want is growth, growth and retention. If you have a growth narrative and if you are retaining your customer, everything else can be fixed.
1: Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by Stock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. On this week's episode, Alex KL, head of EMEA at Salesforce Ventures, takes over the mic from me, hosting a fireside chat with Alexis Pren, CEO of Receipt Bank from the Stock on Tour London stage. According to Alexis Pren, SaaS is a bit like playing a video game. Every nine months or so, you move to the next level and each level is as difficult as the one before. He set up Receipt Bank seven years ago with co-founder Michael Wood. For the first three years, they went the bootstrapping way. Not so much out of strong conviction to do so, but because they were too hard on themselves. They feared rejection more than anything else. Alexis believed that they had to make themselves a little more beautiful and their metrics a little better before they asked anyone for a penny. Eventually, he realized that mentality was missing the point of what it means to be a growing SaaS company. Now on a path to reaching 25 million ARR currently and with 65 million in funding, Alexis is incredibly honest about just how long and hard it has been to figure all of this out and how getting CAC, cohorts and churn right is still as difficult as ever. Listen on to hear how and when Receipt Bank became a serious company.
0: Just choose a no excuses date. I'm fed up with these excuses. I'm fed up with all of this, this nonsense. Just choose a date. doesn't really matter when it is, but pick a date. Pick a date when you're going to turn, turn, start to take yourself seriously as a growth business. We chose, I think, February the 10th. <laughs> February the 10th, 2011. And then pick a growth rate. Pick a growth rate. If you're going to be a growth business, you need to pick a growth rate. What feels good? So, okay, well, 3% a week. Weekly growth rate.
1: Why you should avoid averages with metrics like the plague.
0: One of the things about large cohorts and averages is it's quite difficult to get a hold of. What can you shape this? And if you're just really focusing on on averages, you'll probably you'll probably find there's a customer segment that actually the CAC recovery is world class. But you just didn't know it because you were looking at the average. How to keep the growth mindset as the company scales. Uh, as the chief executive, just repeat yourself endlessly. Over and over and over again. As a, a leadership team, you just have to keep on repeating it until you are bored rigid because there's somebody sitting in the audience who is hearing it for the
1: very, very first time. Bringing wisdom from founders, operators, and investors to your doorstep is why we're taking SASDOC on tour. Our next stop is Paris on May the 3rd. We've limited tickets left for Paris, so grab one and come and learn from more great speakers like Alexis. And we're bringing SASDOC to Helsinki on May the 23rd, Berlin on June the 7th, and New York on June the 20th. Go to sasdoccom forward slash on tour to find out more. Now on with the show.
2: All right. Good morning, everyone. Is this on? Great. I'm convinced that Alex chose me because I have the same name as him, and Alexis it's was kind enough too. to honor the same name as well. So I think you're seeing a trend here. I'm Alex Kale. It's great to see the SaaS ecosystem alive and kicking in London. Uh, I guess the good thing about a venue like this is I don't really need to introduce Salesforce. Uh, in case you've been sleeping the last 18 years, I think. Uh, you know who we are, but Salesforce Ventures, as the name gives us away, we're the strategic investment arm of Salesforce. Been investing for about eight years now. We have a portfolio of over 200 companies all over the world, uh, really trying to back the next generation of SaaS businesses, um, with the likes of, you know, Cubit, UVoice Media, Onfido here in the UK, and in the US, companies like Twilio, Dropbox, and MuleSoft. Unfortunately, Receipt Bank is not in the portfolio, but absolutely thrilled to be chatting with Alexis who's gone through some of these challenges uh, you know the talk track today of seven years um, of trying and failing I think will speak volumes of some of the lessons that he's learned building such a successful company in receipt bank. Um So thank you Alexis for taking the time to, to chat with us today. Alex, I'm delighted to
0: be here. I'm also humbled to be in front of sitting on this stage uh, and not, not in the audience. so I hope that uh, I can I can share something that will be useful. Alex, in his earlier introductions, was talking about generosity, and he was referring to me. And seven years ago, the number of people who we would ask for advice, and they would willingly volunteer it, and add, you know, and maybe you ought to think about this, and have you thought about that? The generosity of people was quite extraordinary and immensely helpful. I would also say that uh, just asking for advice is one thing; actually executing it is uh, is is the fun part. So, hopefully, I can give you some tips on the, the mistakes that we made along the way. Um, Would it be interesting, just a bit of uh, background about Receipt Bank? Would that be helpful? I think that
2: would be great. I think it's always interesting hearing that
0: story. Okay, so um, Receipt Bank uh, was founded about seven years ago. Uh, We are not a banker. Uh, Sorry, I'm not a banker, and we aren't a bank. Uh, And, indeed, nor are we actually in the expenses uh, uh, space, despite the name uh, Receipts. Um, We started in August of 2010, and within about three weeks, we realized that actually we were not going to be in the expenses management business, and we created our own category which is essentially called bookkeeping productivity. So all of the small businesses around the world have got bookkeepers managing their, uh, managing their accounts. Uh, and so we essentially take care of the receipts, the invoices, the credit notes, just take a photograph, throw it away, we deal with it, and the bookkeeper then manages it into the, uh, into the account. So bookkeeping productivity is, is the category that we have created. And by definition, one of the advantages of creating your, your own category is that you are by definition the number one player in that category. So <laughs> I recommend that to you. Um, so we started seven years ago, um, classic, uh, co-founder had a problem with guess what his expenses, uh, and we've been trying to solve that problem over the course of the last, uh, seven years. And it's been a, a remarkable journey. Um, it's been a remarkable journey because every nine months, as you will know from your own businesses, uh, um, it's like a video game. You move up a level and you look around, and you Oh, well, we can do this and you go up another level and you think, oh, we can do this too. And you just kind of keep going. Uh, and so that's where we are, Uh, today. We raised our first um, $5 million or so through EIS funding here in in London. Um, About 60 or so private individuals wrote cheques of around about $100,000 each. Um, We then did a $10 million round with Kennet here in London uh, in uh, January of 2016. And we just closed a – in July of last year, we completed a $50 million round with Insight Venture Partners – uh, from uh, from New York, uh, and uh, our headcount, as you might expect, has, has mirrored that, that investment and that uh, and that growth. Um, when I when we were doing the calculations, I think it's actually, it was the Deloitte's um, fast fifty or fast one hundred, whatever it was. I never realised just how important the missing thirty five percent was going to be when you're producing a slide uh, like this to make it a nice round three thousand <laughs> percent. But anyway, slackers. Anyway, I'm I'm here during the day. If anyone wants to talk to me directly, please happy to help.
2: That's great. Thank you for that introduction, Alexis. And I love the metaphor of the levelling up because it, it's so clear in terms of different challenges that a company faces across that journey. I'm curious, uh, two things that you had said earlier that uh, piqued my interest. One is your decision to kind of bootstrap initially. I think you said the first three years you bootstrapped. Just yep. curious kind of what changed once you took on capital. Um, what was that decision process like internally?
0: So, so we, we, we were too hard on ourselves, we were too hard on ourselves. I said, no, 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 we're not beautiful enough. Nobody's going to fund us. We're not beautiful enough. Could I handle rejection? I don't know. I'm not beautiful enough. And so we we, we struggled and we scraped and we didn't really know what we were doing. We'd read all about David Scott and we'd read about SAS metrics and we kind of understood it. And we didn't, uh, kind of, we did. And the people that we were talking to in the VC community, this is five years, six years ago, they kind of knew what the terms were. But, you know, until, until an investor has actually had one of his investments with the churn going through the roof, he doesn't really know how important churn is. And five, six years ago, they sure as hell didn't. Now that's, of course, completely different. Um, and so we, 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 we waited. We tried to make ourselves more beautiful. We tried to make our metrics better. And in many ways, we probably slightly missed the point. The most important thing, I think, from this morning is not about uh, CAC to LTV. It's important. It's not about, well, churn, certainly. It's about growth. It's about growth. The number one SaaS metric, the number one thing that people who want to fund your business and and see it thrive want is growth, growth and retention. Those are the only two things. Everything else can be fixed. And so we were were too hard on us. We had good growth rates. I remember going to... To you know, one of the larger firms, and, and as he was walking me out, he said to me, "Alexis," he said, uh, uh, you know, "the usual courtesy. Thank you for coming in." I was like, "Okay, thank you," um, and uh, you know, "Congratulations on the business that you built. Said, thank you very much." And then he said, um, "He said, uh, very few companies in Europe, only thirty or forty companies in Europe, have done what you've done." I'm like, really? Did that make you
2: feel good or bad?
0: <laughs> like, well, actually, it felt me, it made me feel curious. I had no idea what he was talking about. Because, yeah. like everybody in this room, you know, you get up in the morning, you grab a shovel, you start digging. Uh, you keep digging until whenever uh, you put your shovel down you have a shower you have something to eat, you get a bed and you get up and do it all over again i hadn 't got time to go wandering around seeing what other people were doing, so I had no context as to what the narrative was, and that fundamentally you are attractive if you have a growth if you have a growth narrative and if you are retaining your customers everything else everything else can be um, uh, can be fixed so we waited too long we didn 't talk to people soon enough um, and I I, I do. I regret. I didn't regret, but it was it was certainly harder than it might otherwise have been.
2: Yeah. So effectively, you kind of changed the mindset as soon as that came in. And I'm curious. You talked about that shift in mindset. You, you know, you go from kind of looking at a bunch of different metrics to all of a sudden setting right growth at all costs. Yep. Getting to this number, setting almost this weekly target that you you set your team on. Just talk a little bit about that. I mean, first of all, what was that weekly target? How did you get your team to buy into that, and how hard was that? Waking up every morning, every week, really, and looking at that shovel that you had to go pick up again. So,
0: so we we had a non-executive director um, right from the word go, and every month we would go and see him. Like two little schoolboys, actually, we would go and see him, and and I'd say, uh, "Well, Alan, I'm terribly sorry, we, we missed our revenue forecast for the last four weeks. We missed, you know, wasn't very big. I'm talking about five hundred quid or a thousand, whatever." And uh, eventually, he said, "He said, you know, listen, guys, he said." Um, just choose a no-excuses date. Just a no-excuses date. I'm fed up with these excuses. I'm fed up with all of this, this nonsense. Just choose a date. It doesn't really matter when it is, but pick a date. Pick a date when you're going to turn, turn, start to take yourself seriously as a growth business. We chose, I think, February the 10th. <laughs> February the 10th, 2011. We, Valentine's Day seemed inappropriate somehow, but anyway. <laughs> so we chose a date. And then Michael had read, Michael Wood, my co-founder, had read an article... Um, and it basically said pick a growth rate. Pick a growth rate. If you're going to be a growth business, you need to pick a growth rate. So it's like, okay, well, what feels good? So I thought, okay, well, 3% a week, weekly growth rate. We've got a starting date, a no-excuse start date. This is the moment when we start to take our business, our growth business, seriously. So on February the 10th, 2011, we have a start date.
2: How big are you at this point?
0: No, uh, we're under a 1,000 pounds of monthly recurring revenues. We'd had quite a lot of excuses up to that point, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's mostly, I, mean, I hasten to add. The bit I was responsible for it was flawless. Um, and um, so we had the start date and we had a growth rate. And every Monday morning we'd sit down and say, did we hit it? Why not? And we'd try and fix that and we'd m- move on. But it was literally, uh, the, the if you like, that number, whatever it is, 2,900, is built up of guess what? Lots of Monday mornings at 3%. So, um, in, in, you know, as so I was thinking about this, we could, we could, I'm sure Alex would love to delve into the deep, the, into the depths of fascinating cohort behaviors and, and so on, but fundamentally it was really those two things that actually set us on a path towards, towards taking ourselves seriously as a growth business, and uh, 3% is relatively easy to remember. Mm. It's like, did we do it? Did we not do it? Yeah. Um, sadly, we're not doing it at, right at this moment. So um, back to the mattresses.
2: And what was your management team's response? I'm curious. I mean, how big was the company at that point? Did you even have a VP of sales? Or did we, you no, see? no, no. We had have, we
0: have one employee.
2: Okay. So it was the three of you getting together? The three
0: of us every morning. We, Monday morning, we get around the
2: table. Okay. So quite easy to get buy-in across three people. It was, Buy-in was easy, yes. And then today, I think you've got We've, well of, of 100 people. Yeah,
0: we're 300 and... Yeah. Three hundred and thirty uh, people.
2: So, how, how do you keep that growth mindset? You know, from three people to three uh, hundred. You, uh, uh, I, I suppose,
0: um, uh, uh, as the chief executive, you just repeat yourself endlessly, over and over and over again. I mean, one of the things that occurred to me, and in many ways, <clears throat> there's a challenges of of uh, of growth is that if you do, let's say, a presentation, let's say it's a sort of some sort of update and trading update, performance update. And um, maybe the next month, maybe you add, perhaps you add uh, 25 people, 30 people. 10% of the entire company didn't, weren't actually there when you delivered it. So it's a responsibility. You can look at all kinds of sophisticated uh, channels and Slack and this and that and the other. But actually, as a, a leadership team, you just have to keep on repeating it until you are bored, rigid. Because there's somebody sitting in the audience who is hearing it for the very, very first time. And it's their first time. So be fresh, be excited, but repeat yourself. Don't take anything you said for granted, which is great, because I like to repeat myself and tell, <laughs> tell stories over and over again.
2: Well, it's clearly worked. You're on path now to over 25 million of ARR. Yep. So, um, you know, congrats on that phenomenal uh, growth trajectory. I'm curious, I want to unpack something you said earlier, because I think it's very important for, for what metrics to focus on. You mentioned, you know, growth and retention, everything else you can fix. Yep. Uh, just elaborate a little bit. Why, why do you think that's the case? um arguably there's at least six other metrics one can think you know whether it's deal sizing cac ratios right, so
0: so all of the money that we raised we, we we raised with dreadful cac recovery i mean dreadful cac recovery i mean like 20 to 30 months cac recovery so we're aiming for 12 we were running it's and by the way just be careful about averages because in certain parts of the world, our CAC recovery was really rather good, and in other parts of the world, our CAC recovery was even worse than I've just outlined. So just be careful about averages. Um, and, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't raise money, and that money gives you the opportunity to fix those problems. And, of course, actually, as you're looking for funding, all we're talking about here is your financial efficiency. How much money do you actually need to get to to get in order to get the outcome that you're looking for? So it, you know, financial efficiency is, from, is rewarded tremendously... Because you don't need to raise as much money uh, to achieve the same uh, t- to achieve the same uh, outcome. Um, but we, we uh, so so getting the very beginning, one of the things, just in, in fact, it's an ongoing thing, is just getting the cohorts structured. I think one of the sponsors, I and mean, Alex obviously, the Salesforce, and one of the other sponsors is in another, another CRM. Just choosing a C- CRM that's going to scale with you. Is an absolutely I mean, we did it from day one. As it happens, we are a customer of Salesforce. Possibly one of the best decisions because we've never had to change. Never had to change. Everything plugs into Salesforce. And so, I mean, I had the conversation with my co-founder Michael. Was uh, Alexis, we need to be on Salesforce. Michael, we don't have any money. Alexis, we need to be on Salesforce. Michael, we don't have any customers. Alexis, we need to be on Salesforce. It's fine, okay, whatever.
2: So um, I didn't ask him to say this, by the way.
0: <laughs> yes, know, so declaring uh, an interest. An interest there. Um, but, uh, you know, getting those, 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 foundations about your client, your customer behaviors is, is critical. And we spent about a year on the fascinating sub- subject of CAC attribution. When you got up this morning, you didn't know that at 10 o'clock we were going to be talking about CAC attributions, one of the most gripping subjects in SaaS metrics. How,
2: how sexy. I mean, this well, is why, this is why, why we too, love to... stop now, Alexis, stop now. I think there's a lot of excitement around that. We, think...
0: we, we, we started, we thought, this is just shows how ignorant we were. We thought But what we were trying to do, Alex, what we were trying to do is we were trying to identify the lowest cost channels that we could invest in. Okay, so you're ready for some important piece of advice. This is possibly the best, which is cheap acquisition channels don't scale. They don't scale. Expensive ones do. So we spent nearly a year trying to figure out, carefully allocating each customer to each channel and all the rest of it, trying to identify those channels that we were then going to pile into and invest behind, uh, because those were the lowest cost ones, and that would bring our cat down. Okay? That's what we thought. It's an average. Well, we were wrong. Because all we discovered was, guess what? The inexpensive ones don't scale. The expensive ones do. So the challenge the challenge is actually to learn how to do the expensive ones cheaper that's the challenge and we spent a year so i come to you this morning i give you a year's worth of screw up on a plate i encourage you not to do the same thing
2: the mindset yeah. was almost upside down actually so It was you... completely the wrong way around
0: yeah
2: Just, we didn't talk to anybody
0: we didn't ask anybody we had no
2: idea what it, it was is going. counterintuitive but until you've gone
0: through it in many ways i feel so stupid sitting here which is why it doesn't say succeeding with sexometrics <laughs> it's, this is very careful the wording has been very the We debated long and hard on precisely the wording, it is difficult to do this. Financial efficiency is the reward, and um, financial efficiency is the reward, and and that's that's a prize worth worth getting, I think. I
2: love the honesty, because one of the things that's always very hard to see on the outside is that up and down, and I can tell you with 200-plus SaaS companies in our portfolio, it's never a straight line. Uh, but it, you know, when you read about all the success in the press, it seems, um, so I love the honesty around some of those challenges. And I think on the growth and retention, curious how that, you know, obviously in the early days, I completely agree with you. I mean, growth when you're, some companies don't even have 12, 14 months of history to even figure out what yep. that payback period looks like. Has that, you know, as now you've passed this 25 million mark, your, your eyes are set on 50 to 100 million. Does that start to change from a stage perspective? Because from, you know, when we look at investing, certainly the later stage the company gets at the B, C, and above rounds, we start to be a little more maniacal, if you will, on kind of what those metrics look like. Earlier at the seed A and B, certainly growth is a key, key lever. How, how, how does that change internally for you, um, as you said, to 50 and 100 million plus?
0: So, um, so it, is the fun, it is the fundamental financial metric. It is the measure of if, if we're not going to use the balance sheet and the P&L specifically as a, as a driver of, of value, as, an, as a financial goal... Then, then we have to place – and the temptation, by the way, is almost overwhelming for non-executive directors, for chairmen to grab for the PL and and, and use that as the, as, the, as the framework for the conversation about the business, which is, which is wrong. Um, and and you know, once you've set out on, on this SaaS path and once you've set out on a growth uh, trajectory, fundamentally – um, getting good at doing it, getting good internally at, at the language of SAS and getting good internally at the decision-making that is, that is involved in that uh, makes a, a, a tremendous difference. I suppose, it f- for me, the, the framework doesn't change, the, the, the conversation doesn't change. It becomes more difficult to articulate that to your colleagues, people who perhaps have not lived and breathed um, SAS in the way that, that we all have. Um, so that's a challenge in terms of education. Um, the metrics and the framework, the data framework stays the same. You're just bringing in people who have got a lot of, just a lot more experience in doing it. So in July of last year, we were able to bring in a, a CMO who had been the CMO at uh, Cvent, which is, I think, the world's largest uh, event organizing software business. And um, i would never seen industrial-scale marketing uh, done uh, before. Um, and our CAC has not shifted, despite the fact that our team has gone from from uh, probably eight people to probably nearer 28 people, the CAC metric that we've been running for the last seven years is exactly the same today as it was five years ago. We're just doing it at a much, much, much bigger scale. So the, the numbers tell you everything you need to know. And did
2: it go up before coming down? A little
0: bit, a little bit. But you can use a rolling average to get directionally correct.
2: <laughs> that, that's the point, right? I think the, the interesting... You know—you talk about this averages and kind of how you guys obsessed over... Uh, it can be very misleading in a business. Yes. Um, maybe share some, maybe some of the segments that you guys looked at, some of the, you talked about geographies being very different. What else to, kind of from an average perspective, you know, just, just, aware, averages,
0: they're always dangerous. Yeah. You, you will delude yourself if you, if you just concentrate on the averages and, and you know our average revenue uh, per account is a, is a nice one I think we're playing around with well maybe we should be using I can't even pronounce it Marpa which is <laughs> um, what's it? it's not the average it's the median uh, revenue per account so just simply trying to, to get to grips with what does it actually mean and how do we actually, how can we put it into a framework that we actually do something about one of the things about large cohorts and averages is it's quite difficult to get a hold of what can you shape this. And if you're just really focusing on on averages, you'll probably, you'll probably find there's a customer segment that actually the CAC recovery is world-class, but you just didn't know it because you were looking at the average.
2: And I would encourage founders in the room to the, the earlier... We should talk about a little bit the infrastructure required to, to get to the bottom of this because the earlier you start tracking... A lot of these metrics. The, the sooner you're able to actually start to answer some of these questions, and I, it, interestingly, I think in a lot of SaaS companies today, the segments from a customer perspective, whether it's SMB, mid-market, enterprise companies, are able to serve customers across that spectrum more and more, as opposed to just being in one narrow niche. And you'll find very different customer acquisition paybacks, deal sizing across, you know, a, a Fortune 1,000 company versus a 50-person company. Um, and, and kind of those deal mechanics are very different. did you have that infrastructure in place? No, no oh, of yeah. course not
0: <laughs> um, no we, we thought we did, but um, like in the hands of a, in, in the mid-air. hands of an expert venture capitalist, the layers were peeled back, and we were exposed for the naive uh, individuals that we were. We thought we had it, we thought we had it, uh, but we really didn 't we didn 't really understand we didn 't really understand that actually you can put your deck together and you can do all the, all the wonderful things like that and uh, you can talk about the growth rate and everything's great. The first question is going to be, show me your cohorts. Show me the underlying data because I want to unpack all this. And if you're then scrabbling around for three weeks, what does it tell the person who wants to invest and people do want to invest in your business? It tells you that the infrastructure isn't quite as robust. Your decision, you know, the data on which you're basing your decision-making isn't as reliable, isn't as useful. I don't know you fill in the, fill in the gaps as, um, uh, and sure enough, ours was, guess what? Uh, not as reliable, not as useful, and possibly a little bit misleading. Um, and so we, we struggled to go back and recast those cohorts. And I would just simply urge you all to, to take that element, that foundation element, really, really seriously. We're still grappling with it. And despite the fact that we were you know, built on Salesforce and other, other bits and pieces, uh, it's, it's still a struggle.
2: And one of the things that made me smile when we first started talking about this session was uh, you talked about, with all the blog posts available today, all the different resources, sometimes you can get lost as a founder on on the definitions of even some of these terms. And you kind of talk a little bit about that, because you made a decision in terms of how how you do... Good example being, how do you even calculate churn? What's considered a churn event so? So we no? were,
0: we, I mean, churn. is like, well, it's really easy. You know, you had a customer and then you didn't have a customer, All right? It's easy. Any, any idiot knows that. And um, and uh, we were actually reporting until really quite recently. We were actually reporting our churn um, as essentially net churn. So we were, just because the way that the systems had been set up, there was no manipulation involved. I think we got someone from Insight in the audience. um, There was no manipulation involved, James. It was entirely accidental. But we were actually reporting churn based on on, um, winbacks. So it was net churn. But I didn't know that, because I didn't actually do the plumbing in the first place. And so something that was set up four years ago, you really, really have to look at very carefully. Once again, that takes you back to the underlying cohort behaviours. And... um, so we're still making mistakes, and you can still discuss when is a customer a customer. You know, when the credit card fails, is that the moment when it happens? Is it maybe thirty days after the credit card when they've received three emails? When do you close the account? There are no right answers. There are no right answers. It's difficult. Um, it's challenging. There aren't any right answers. But just remember, at the end of the day, why you're why you're looking at these these um, these numbers. Why are, there is so much if you like so many articles written about them and how that helps you with your, with your goal and I would just also say you do need to choose a goal what am I actually trying to, you know, is it a journey to 100 million dollars, say of ARR, is that your journey it's helpful to have that if you if you say agree that's kind of like the direction you like to go, on, go in then a lot of the infrastructure decisions get made for you, a lot of the, um, the questions uh, become obvious if you don't have that, then it becomes a bit more problematic. I'm not sure I really answered your question, Alex. But you did, because so to... effectively I think okay.
2: the point you're making is ultimately you can spend hours and weeks and months figuring out definitions or you can just pick one and move on and start to track it. And I think that's, to me, that speaks volumes because it still surprises me how many companies we meet, frankly, who aren't tracking these things. Fine. And they're, you know, part of the hassle is figuring out how they should define a lot of the, the metrics. And ultimately, the, the, because they they're still in this limbo of figuring this out, they're actually not tracking anything, and that's, Quite. they are literally running their business blind. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, how many uh, people in the room are on the operating side, you know, either running a business or part of a business as opposed to an investor? And keep your keep your hand up if you, you track any of the metrics that Alexis mentioned today. Okay, great. That's, that's actually impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so see, there's progress in the ecosystem. <laughs>
0: But do they really, really believe? Wow. <laughs> Are they really believers, Alex? I don't know. Right. I mean, people—it's very easy to put your hand up. I mean, but do you? Until They're, you felt it moving against you, you don't
2: know. You really don't know. Alexis is giving a proctology exam at ten thirty. <laughs> after, in the back, if you'd like to find out. One of the things um, that really stood out is uh, when you were talking about lessons learned. As well was all the things you actually said no to as opposed to all the things you said yes to, um, which again piqued my interest from a lessons perspective. Just share a little bit more about what you meant um, and some of the mistakes there. So
0: it's really, really easy. We all, I mean, we were talking a little bit of, uh, earlier about you know, bootstrapping, we want to be loved. Everyone likes to be loved, everyone wants to be liked. And saying yes is really easy. Saying yes is really, really easy. And um, uh, just picking up the, the introduction Alex made uh, about you know, so many people were helpful and generous to us with their experience and their wisdom and their observations. And we tried, tried to implement as much of that in, 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 in practice. So um, it's... Uh, sorry, I just slightly lost my train of thought in terms of the... Uh, yeah. Anyway, so when we won the... Uh, or concluded in the Deloitte's Fast 50... Um, they sent us a card, a postcard, me a postcard, and they said, what advice would you give to up-and-coming entrepreneurs? And, um, uh, and this card, I, my first, it was literally six lines, it wasn't a big deal. And this card, uh, I was sitting there, my first effort I thought was slightly pompous, comes naturally. The second one I thought was slightly patronising. So like, okay, well, that's not, really not working. And then I put it to one side, and I thought I just left it there on my desk for two weeks. It was sitting there, staring at me, and um, and I thought, no, no, no. We made a promise seven years ago that if someone asked for guidance, advice, whatever it was, that we would off, we would we would respond. Not like the fire brigade, but we would we would reply. And uh, the best that I could do, and what I ended up writing on the on the envelope, and I think it's got nothing to do with SAS metrics. Perhaps it's got to do a little bit with prioritisation, but. But fundamentally, the best piece of advice on it, that I wrote on the card, and I think it was good when I wrote it, and I think it's good now, is say no often. Say no often. It forces you to make choices. It forces you to make choices. And if you say yes, you are committing uh, time that you don't have, and by the way, that is the one thing you genuinely don't have, and money that you don't have. So saying no, no is it makes you it forces you to choose things to say yes to and it is just so easy in a, in a small business when you're, or, or indeed a large business when you're being hit with all kinds of opportunities to, to, to do this or fix that or, or change the other just to say yes we're going to do that, yes we're going to do that, yes we're going to do that and the answer is no the answer is be very careful about the things that you say yes to because you are making a commitment of time and money both of which are limited time is much more limited than money usually get more money time is the one thing you don't have difficult to pick that up in a SAS metric um, but uh, that is that is that helpful in terms of no
2: I, very I mean I think if we had to kind of summarize some key traits that we see across many successful founders focus uh, certainly screams is the top of that list Quite. Um so very helpful here I'm conscious of time uh, I have a bunch more questions I'm going to ask you, Alexis but are there any burning questions in the audience
0: uh, so, so, so attribution is a tremendous. We could talk about. We could devote an Alex. We'd like to devote an entire day to attribution in future. So, could you? Uh, it will be a sellout crowd. You probably have to double the venue because um, it's such a riveting and gripping subject, and we can delve into it in in, in detail. Um, so, I mean, attribution is 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 a challenge. There, there, it is. It isn't. There isn't a right answer to it, um, and. Uh, I would the, the premise that um, because of the sort of ecosystems in which we operate that somehow that those are not valid it's, that they're not valid um, you've got obviously organics um, and um, but we don't, don't get in that respect very many direct referrals so um, our, our, the more you grow this is the point I was making about the, the low cost acquisition channels things like organics and referrals are low cost but they don't scale so what scales is mini events so we will be doing we do in the next 90 days we're doing three and a half events every day that could be a trade show it could be a webinar it could be a dinner it could be a lunch it could be a breakfast it could be so globally we're doing nearly well near as damn it three to four events every day guess what they scale it's very easy it costs us about two grand uh, to put it on typically there are 20 people conversion rates roughly around about 25 30 percent bingo just keep ramping it up. So I, I would say attribution, just focus on the things you can scale. Referrals, you can't scale. I didn't, I haven't answered your first question. Why don't we pick it up um, afterwards?
2: Yeah? And, and our 10-second thoughts on that, because it comes up a lot for enterprise versus uh, SMB. Uh-huh. I mean, typically, what we think of as best of class is in the enterprise space, uh, meaning when you're selling to larger accounts, anything sub 10% annual gross churn is, is pretty favorable. On the SMB side, actually, it's gotten better over the last few years, as I think a lot of companies have taken advantage of some of this know-how, but it wouldn't be unusual to see kind of 20 30% in the SMB side from an animal's churn uh, on a gross basis. Obviously, on a net basis, you want to see that be negative on both sides. Do you want to pick your favorite... Um, there's a couple that have come in. Oh, billing. people, Billing's
0: a great one. People have uploaded... Voted- sub- Alex, another subject on billing. I know you, you want to get us off. Billing is a fantastic subject. Uh, uh, almost everybody has to write their own billing software and maintain it. It's a pain in the neck. I think we're... Alex, uh, Jamie, we're using... One more fi- question. Financial force. Yeah, we're implementing financial force in the next... But that's seven years' worth of writing our own damn billing thing, and it's a pain. And there's no way I...
2: The, uh, the the recalling the hardest no has had the most thumbs up, um, so I'm going to ask you to answer that one as a as a wrap up. So what was your hardest no you've ever had to say? I think he thought about saying no to showing up to this, but
0: <laughs> they're all hard. No, th- that's why we all say yes. That's why the default position in humanity is to say yes. Every every no, because you're disappointing someone. They're asking you to do something, and you say no. We're not going to do that. No, you've got. I know you're. It's you know. In many ways, actually, there's yes, no, and not today. But you know, in six months' time is also valid. But every no is is difficult because everybody you know who has passion and enthusiasm for the cause believes that what they're coming to you that, that they want to that you want to allocate time and resources to to to, to whatever they're they're proposing. They want, they want it to be funded, and you actually you want to fund it. You want to give them the money. You want to give them the time. So you want to say yes. Every sinew in your body will be saying yes, and I urge you to say no. <laughs> Every single one of them is difficult.
2: Well, on that positive note, uh, thank you very much. Jordan. Alex, thank yes. you very much
0: indeed.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show and have picked up some valuable lessons from Alexis Pren and Alex K.L. To learn how to become a SaaS tour de force, join us at our next SaaS Dock and Tour stop on May the 3rd in Paris or the upcoming events in Helsinki, Berlin or New York City. See episode description for the link. Thanks for listening. See you next time.